Okay, hopefully this is working. Um, my name is Yael Kalman, and welcome to Parshanut and Beyond. Um, it was not, I'm not like such a Toy Story fan, but that's, I don't know, that was the name that came to me. Um, so I'm going to pass out the source sheets for today while I start to give a very brief introduction to what I imagine this class is going to be and um, hearing from you guys what you're hoping to get out of it as well. And um, then, we'll, then we'll just get started straight into the texts. Um, so I'm hoping, when I envisioned this class, I was thinking about really three main goals, because there always have to be three. Um, one is just like an opportunity to learn Torah together and have that based on what the parsha is, um, having having something looking forward, looking towards Shabbat, um, and having something to contribute six days from now, five and a half days from now. Um, the second was to work on textual skills, um, and the third, if I can remember it, um, is really just to get a broader swath of exposure to different texts. Um, to commentaries and to really familiarize ourselves with um, with kind of the language of Torah learning. Um, so those were those were the things that I'm going into it with. Um, do you want to go around and say names and um, it's like such a seminar question, mm -hmm. but like what you're hoping to like get out of this class? Do you mind going first? Sure, I'm Ellie. Um, and I did Parsha last all of last year with the Chavrut, and I really, really enjoyed it. Even if like I felt, even if we like didn't get through, you know, even like half of it, it was still like a really exciting just to like go. With, I just really enjoyed the process, um, so I'm excited to just keep doing that. Awesome. I'm Tamar. Um, two things I want to get out of this. I always find that I'm more likely to wake up in time for Torah reading Shabbat morning mm -hmm. if I feel connected to the Parsha in some way. So maybe this will get me to show earlier. Um, and also, um, I still, like, I feel like I've been taught this maybe a couple of times, but I don't really, like, know if there's, like, a wealth of sources here, and I don't know, like, how you go about finding them. So I hope that they're, they're not just, like, put here before us, but that we also, like, kind of get a sense of like where to look for like beyond the Rashi or you know some of like the simple Great. commentators Great. and be able to do it on our own. Great. And also something I'll just interject before you go Leslie that really there were four goals but like I, I wanted to say three. The fourth <laughs> goal was like really to work towards strategies for independent study mm -hmm. and being able to eventually like make this kind of sheet on your own um, and being able to track down where the sources are, where they're coming from, um, and really gearing towards independent study in that way. Cool. All right. I'm Leslie. Um, I feel like the first thing Tamar said was pretty much what I was going to say of just like a goal being like feeling more grounded in and invested in the Parsha each week. Awesome. Um, I'd like to work on my tech skills and um, I'm always kind of trying to. Um, around all of the commentators and like figure out like I know like I kind of know where Rashi's gonna go I can usually guess and I I know the Rambam's a rationalist and I kind of like know his major worldview or Torah view and like where he's gonna fall in that um and sort of where those come out of and I know a little bit about the Ramban and I know a little bit about all of them but I would like to have a better grasp of like being able to sort of guess, like, oh, the Abarbanel's going to come in, he's probably going to talk about this, or, like, and I think in that way, then it's easier to sort of go to, like, who's going to be the most helpful when you're, like, you have a question, you're like, who's probably going to talk about this? Right. I'm going to start here. Great. So I'm Mimi. Um, I'm here for a lot of the same reasons that you guys are. Um, just very interested. I love... Torah and Midrash, um, and I want to keep up my text skills, and also just to be a part of, you know, I think it's one thing to, like, do any of this learning on your own, but it's definitely richer and more exciting to be a part of a community doing it. Great. Great. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Um, and what I'm thinking is that at some point later on, we'll maybe have, like, a tour 
of the Beit Midrash as kind of a um, like a skill building where to go for where to go for like finding specific kinds of texts um, and also like a virtual tour online of online sources um, so stay tuned for that and I'll prepare something on that maybe in the next couple of weeks um, which means I guess you have to keep coming <laughs> maybe I just won't say when it's going to be Damn it, I thought it was going to be this week. Is this going to be open, like people can come in next week? And Yeah, so each one is going to be very much a totally standalone shiur, um, just on just on the Parsha, what it happens to be. Um, okay, so let's start with the very first source, which is an excerpt from the very beginning of this week's Torah portion. And just to situate where... Parshat Truma is in the context of the Torah portions and in the book of Exodus and Shemot. Um, it, in last week's parasha, which was Parashat Mishpatim, there were a bunch of laws um, ranging from very, um, ranging from civil laws, laws about slavery, laws about uh, murder and also some ritual laws in it and in the parasha before that was um, the Ten Commandments and Mount Sinai and um, so starting with this week's parasha, parasha Truma, is a series of Torah portions that are specifically about the Mishkan, about the tabernacle, about the moving um, transitional temple in the desert. I think is the best way to explain what a tabernacle is because like tabernacle is like one of those words that like okay that doesn't tell me anything <laughs> it's like calling to fill in phylacteries like that's not sorry that doesn't do anything for me um, so that's where we are um, and um, when we read the very first text I want you guys to start thinking about what are some questions that you have arising out of this text? Um, and, okay, so let's start. Ellie, do you want to start? Sure. Um, in, in the Hebrew or in the English, whichever. Vayedaber Hashem el Moshe lemor. Daber el Menei Yisrael v'yichu li truma me'et kol ish asher yidvnu libo tichu et trumati. Vizot, should I keep going? Yeah, please. Vizot hat truma asher tikhu me itam zahav ve kesef ut nechoshet. Ut chelet ve argaman ve toalat sheni vishesh vizim. Yeah, unless you want to pass it along. I can pass it along. You can tag someone else. You can. Okay. Great. <laughs> don't have a marker. <laughs> no. As I try and find a marker. It might be in um, the cabinet. You think in this cabinet? It might be. I can, I can really find one. Um, I was thinking maybe in the uh, below. The, uh, yeah. Well, no. Why don't I go and find one? Yeah, um, this is a permanent marker. <laughs> <laughs> that would be bad. Okay, great. Um, so what I forgot to mention is that this is actually my bat mitzvah part. Oh. <laughs> um, so like as you guys are reading it, then like the Torah reading is running through my head. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't like really give me a um, an advantage in preparing a shiur for it because truma, which I also neglected to say, is really boring mm -hmm. because it's just all the dimensions of the tabernacle, and these first nine psukim are like probably. 
I would say, objectively the most interesting part of See, the whole Parsha. My dad's an architect, and he actually really likes this mm -hmm. Parsha. I remember him like commenting about it because he likes the fact that there's like all of a sudden all these dimensions mm -hmm. <laughs> and descriptions of the building. That's great. Yeah, I also had a friend. I totally don't remember who she is, but like she grew up with this being like a very rich part of her childhood because she had a um, a color book of the tabernacle, and it was like very real. Maybe her one of her <laughs> parents was also an architect or something. Mm. Um, but yeah, like it was very um, it was very present, and it was like very important to her upbringing. Or maybe it was like the one Parsha that her parents talked about growing up. Um, okay. <laughs> Marker. It's okay. Um, let's see if she's coming back. Have any of you ever seen um, Godcast? Mm -hmm. There are animated videos for each Parsha, and one of my favorite ones is the one for Truma. Um, and Alicia Joe Rabins, who's the lead of Girls in Trouble, which does like midrash on women's stories, she did the one for this, and it's really, it's a, it's like a beautiful song already, and the animation is great. So, just look it up. Cool. cool. Yeah. Anyone else have any tabernacle associations? <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Um, Okay, so I think we'll get started, and I will just write down people's questions here, and then I'll transfer them onto the board if Tamara comes back victorious. Um, so what are, so what are some? No. no. Okay, no problem. We'll just write them down. I'll write them uh, really big. No, <laughs> um, no we'll, we'll remember them. So just some questions that people have coming out of these psukim. Thank you for so much for trying. Yeah. <laughs> I guess my first one was just from the second psuk about how you shall accept gifts for me from every person whose heart moves, who so moves him. Just like, that's, it kind of seems to be like a, like give what you can, like there seems to be like a range of like what kind of gift you can give. Um, I think that's an interesting line, too. I, like, I'm not quite sure that was the right interpretation, but I just said either. Great. But also, like, are you still supposed to give gifts if your heart doesn't, like, feel so moved? Right. Mm -hmm. So, right, like, what are the mechanics of the giving, I think, is kind of what both of you are asking. Um, and how are you going to ensure that you have, like, there are very specific guidelines about what the Mishkan is supposed to look like. How can you guarantee that what everyone moves them to give is going to add up to like what it has to be? I even, I mean, on that, in the second verse, it's tell them to bring me gifts. And then later, who, whose heart so moves him. So, you know, is it really whoever's heart moves them that way? Or is everyone actually expected to bring a gift? Great. So, like, can something really be totally a generous contribution mm -hmm. when they're being asked to give it? Mm -hmm. Great. I'm a little curious where they're getting some of these things. Mm -hmm. Lapis lazuli uh, typically comes from, like, Afghanistan. Um, and some other stones, but specifically lapis lazuli. Um, and, and I'm also curious which tribe that's for. Um, and like why theirs is is standing out, mm -hmm. and and uh, fine linen typically comes from Egypt because they're certainly not mm -hmm. just going to make it in the desert. Um, so that means, do they still have contact with Egypt in order to trade and find that, or um, are they just going to like take off their clothes and and like where you know? And they're slaves. They they're coming from being slaves. I know they took vessels, mm -hmm. but like, did they also take a bunch of linen and? Find gold stones and, stones and like and yeah, like, yeah. Like, like where are they getting this stuff? Great, excellent. What's a question? Ephod. Great, the that's ephod? another great question. <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot of these things are uh, I just don't know what, what they are, or also like what what purpose they serve in um, in society. Then, so even like, is this the equivalent of like a gold necklace, or the equivalent of like uh, like piece of dessert or something? I, mean, I don't know. Like, I'm trying. That's a very bad example. 
You mean um, like what the value is? Yeah, what the value is or what these what these things are. And also like what the nature of the truma is. Like what does, uh, I think there's a lot to be explored about like how do you give the truma? How much is, needs to be considered to be a truma? Um, where do you give truma? Who do you give it to? Great, great. So more about, um, more about um, what is the what is the value of these things and what really constitutes a truma and like is there is there a set value on what is a valid contribution is like give what you can really okay great Asia wood again if they're yeah. in the desert probably not so many trees around great did acacia I don't know how you acacia wood acacia couple more? Well, I guess um, on like a somewhat more theological level, um, so presumably they're making this sanctuary so that God can dwell among them, but does that then mean that God wasn't dwelling among them before? Great. Why blue, purple, and red, not any yellow, crimson? Great. Or what, well, no, crimson's yellow, but... Oh, also in... Um, in Tet, I mean, we're going to get into this a lot more in the coming partio, but like this is a very um, vague idea, like the Tamni Tamishkan, like, like how it's going to be set up. So there are a ton of questions of what does that mean? How is the Mishkan set up? Like, set up and uh, where, like, what do they have to do to make the Mishkan? Great. Great. So we've come up with a really wide range of questions, ranging from what is like what does this word even mean um and how does this work practically um how do we situate this in the context of where they are in the desert um is this at all realistic how does this how does this mishkan concept work theologically um and so these are all these are all questions that the commentators are going to be dealing with some not as satisfactorily. I think that the least, I think you'll be the least satisfied um, with like where are they getting these things from. Um, but, but these are all, at least with the commentaries that we have here today. Um, so as we start going through these, um, rather than going by theme, I think that we're gonna stick to like going commentator by commentator. Um, and really kind of plow through them and get a sense of, with each one asking, what question is this commentator trying to answer? Um, like they're very often going to be posing an answer without, asking, without posing what the question is. Um, so we'll start with Rashi, because who else would you start with? Um, so Rashi is like the giant of the commentators. Um, he, um, he is very popular in, um, like among the commentators, it's probably going to be very likely that if a traditional, um, Chumash is going to have one commentator, it's probably going to be Rashi. Um, he is helpful in sometimes in explaining what words mean or what they're referring to. He also brings in a lot of um, midrash, um, rabbinic interpretations on these psukim. Um, and Rashi's understanding of things often leads to what the traditional understanding of what psukim mean. Um, when I was going into a, I was going into an Orthodox high school and um, I had to take some sort of standardized test beforehand and um, I remember in my meeting with the administration, they said, we, you know, we're very pleased with you and like we want to put you in the honors class, but you need to work on your Rashi. Um, and, so, and so for me, like I guess Rashi very much epitomizes like the traditional understanding of, um, of the Torah. Um, so let's jump into that. Um, so Leslie, do you want to start reading? Yeah. Great. Um, should I just go? Should I stop after each kind of? Um, I think that you can go um, through and the commentary, and they shall make me a sanctuary. So, like about halfway through that first chunk. Okay, great. I'm going to go in 
much. Um, his heart great. so moves him is an expression of generosity, expressing goodwill present in the, in the colloquial. Blue, wool dyed with Helozone's blood, whose color is blue. Purple, wood dyed with a kind of dye called oh, argamon. That's a typo, wool, sorry. <laughs> oh, did I say wood? You did, but that's oh. what it said. <laughs> um, purple, wool dyed with a kind of dye called argamon. Crimson, this is linen. Dyed red, these were dyed red after being tanned. Tahash, a kind of animal that existed for a short time, which had many hues. Hmm. And they shall make me a sanctuary. They shall make for my name a house of sanctity. Um, so there were... I had a reason for including this isn't this isn't comprehensive this isn't Rashi's commentary on everything from verse 1 through verse 9 um, but part of the reason I wanted to bring the very first one was that he he does this very often that he'll bring the French colloquial term for something so if you look in the on the Hebrew side um, on the very last word in the first line I, I have no idea how to pronounce it. It's like plaisant. I don't know, is my guess. So um, like he'll bring the French word in order to translate or interpret what a certain word means. Um, so I wanted you guys to see that as something like pretty typical um, for something that he does. Plaisant laz, and laz just means colloquial, and that's referring to French. Um, and just this, this whole chunk of blue, purple, crimson, dyed red, tachash, um, as an example of um, something that he's likely to do just to expound on what the plain meaning is or, or like what, the, what certain words are referring to, um, just to kind of draw those out. Um, tachash, I've also seen, like there there's a lot of speculation about what kind of animal a tachash is. I've seen, you know, to compound uh, Lizzie's question further, like dolphin skin. Where are they getting dolphins from? Um, I mean, maybe they're in the Red Sea. I don't know. But uh, so just a lot of, there's a lot of controversy about what a tachash could be. Um, so... With the, with the very last one, and they shall make me a sanctuary. Um, what do you guys think the question is that he's trying to answer there? I think the other ones are a little more straightforward. Like, he's just trying to explain what the word is referring to. To distinguish it from, like, an idolatrous temple? Hmm. Great. Great. Um, so I think that that's definitely one piece of it. Um, any, any other thoughts? So I think um, so. I think Rashi is picking up on, or, or he's he's kind of mm. troubled by the concept of um, putting God into space. Right. I think yeah. that he's like, and that yes, feels yeah. very idolatrous to him. Because he changes at least me instead of we, which is exactly like saying that it's not just it's not like you're building a house for God. It's rather that you're like building a holy place in the name of God, which is. Which is at least theologically different yeah. from a temple for like a material god of some sort. But then, would he have trouble with like the cloud and the tent of meeting and like there's a lot of physical god stuff in Exodus? I don't think it's right. a problem that it's physical. I think it's a problem that it's enclosing, like that you're creating a house for God. I mean, there's a lot with like the Beit Mikdash. There's a lot of like um, language like that too. That it's not. It's not that God is restricted to this place because it's built, but it's like the place of connection between human and God. Great. Um, yeah, so I think, I think it still doesn't um, answer whether he also has theological problems with the tent of meeting and with you know, other maybe physical manifestations of God or like you know, the encounter with God at Mount Sinai and like there has to be a place associated with it. Um, but I think that on a very local level, what he seems to be doing here is exactly what Tamara was saying about, um, so in the Hebrew, ve'asu lishmi, and make for my name, as opposed to making for my presence or like some sort of physical manifestation, um, making it for just this like esoteric concept of me. Um, great. 
What is the Gila Zone? Is that like that fish that the Talus color comes? Is that or is this a different blue? So I think a, I think a Gila Zone, at least in um, in modern Hebrew, I think it's a snail. But it was the right? same. Is the, it's the same snail that the Talus blue comes from? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Oh, is the is the string of blue? Gotcha. Um, that some people think that they've discovered rediscovered what it is, um, but yeah, no. So exactly. So like the same. Um, the same the same used blue. to refer and the same uh, the same words chaylet is used to refer to that blue string gotcha. on, on CC. Um, Lizzie, do you want to read the next chunk? Exactly as I show you here. Exactly there. Right. <laughs> the pattern of the Mishkan. This verse is connected to the verse before it, and they shall make me a sanctuary according to all that I show you. Great. Right. Okay, so we'll stop there for a okay. second. Um, so what what is Rashi trying to address here? This is for everyone. Oh, well, it's not clear. It's not really two sentences, right, the two psukim. Um, so Tet starts in the middle of a sentence, like in the way that I showed you, in the way that I showed you what, what is it talking about? And he says it's referring to, he's just like, he's preparing the subject for the sentence. He's saying the subject for the sentence is not in Tet, it's actually in Chet, if you're confused. Great. Why? So there's a direct object, there's an et in there, and then it's like the pattern of the tabernacle. Right. So I don't really understand. I, I think that you're both right. Um, that what Rashi is doing is connecting it to the previous pasuk. Um, but at the same time, Rashi kind of didn't need to do that because it could be referring to the pattern of the Mishkan and the pattern of all the vessels. Um, so, but I, but I do think that that's, I do think that that's what he's trying to do. Um, you want to read the next chunk as well, Lizzie? Sure. Thank and you. so you shall make it in future generations. If one of the vessels is lost, or when you make the vessels of the temple, such as tables, menorahs, wash basins, and bases that Solomon made, you shall make them according to this pattern. If the verse was not connected to what was written before it, he would not have written, and so shall you do, but so shall you do. And it would be speaking about the me making of the tent of meeting and its vessels. Great. So what's, he, so what's Rashi picking up on here? that elusive vav, mm -hmm. right? Like just these extraneous letters. So what does that extra vav come to show us? That it's not just with this particular activity of making the mishkan, but also these, these rules and these patterns are going to apply in the future. Um, so that's pretty, a pretty indirect use. Like that's, that's kind of far to take an and, right? Um, but but just textually, I just wanted you guys to see, like, that's, that's where he's ostensibly taking it from. Um, did you want to say something, maybe? Mm -hmm. Cool. Are you ready to read? Yeah. Great. <laughs> he gave me Oh, sorry. Just to <coughs> interrupt you when you just started. Um, this section is not from, I mean, you'll notice that the Dibor Hamatchil, the Dibor Hamatchil is the um, the referring to the words that are from the verses that the commentators use to start off their commentary. So they're referring to a chunk of a pasuk and then they're commenting on it. So if I slip into saying dibur hamatchil, which is like the beginning wording, um, then that's what I'm referring to. So the dibur hamatchil here, vayiten el Moshe, he gave Moses, is nowhere in the nine psukim that, that I gave you, um, but it's from another section. I, I stole a commentary, a Rashi commentary from another section, um, referring to um, in Kitisa. Um, and it's going to be referring to the relationship between the sin of the golden calf, Chet HaEgel, and the building of the Mishkan. Go ahead. Gave Moses. In the Torah, chronological order is not adhered to. The episode of the calf took place long before the command of the work of the Mishkan. For on the 17th of Tammuz, the tablets were broken, and on Yom Kippur, the Holy One, blessed be he, was reconciled to Israel. 
On the next day, that is, on the 11th of Tishrei, they commenced with the donation for the Mishkan, and it, the Mishkan, was erected on the 1st of Nisan. Great. Um, so also just to situate us, um, there are two Torah portions in a row that talk about the building of the Mishkan, Truma, and next week's Parsha Titzaveh. Then there's Kitisa, which contains the sin of the golden calf, Chet HaEgel. And then there are two more Torah portions that are Vayakel and Pekudeh that refer to the actual building of the Mishkan. Um, and so what Rashi is referring to here is the fact that um, Kitisa, which contains Chet HaEgel, ap- appears, at least in the text, later than the discussion about the Mishkan. So just to situate us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he seems to find it really important to point out that even though it comes later, really chronologically, the sin of the golden calf came first before God commands us about the Mishkan. So why do you think that that's important to Rashi, that the sin of the golden calf come first before the Mishkan? Well, it's like, it would be like really call into question the Mishkan if it was like built, if like the Echad HaEgel was, was happening like during the building, because then it would have been like built kind of like on the sin. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he wants to like say like the sin is like before they started building the Mishkan. The Mishkan is like the renewed people of Israel like after the sin. Great. So you don't want the Mishkan to kind of be tainted by that sin. Or in competition with mm. the construction of the golden calf. I mean, I Great. think that this, it, it feels to me, and I think, I wonder if even Rashi is trying to deal with this tension of, this feels kind of idolatrous, this feels like a physical sign of God, um, and we want it to be distinct from true idolatry of the golden calf. And if the golden calf had already happened, then this, you know, can be like this legitimized, holy, um, God-inspired act. Great. Mm -hmm. So this, in many ways, is like a healthy manifestation Mm -hmm. of like the urge that came with the golden calf. Great. Great. Okay. So we have about 20 minutes left um, and a lot of sources to get through. (laughs) Um, Okay. So... I'm just going to read through Ibn Ezra's commentary kind of quickly, um, just to give a very brief introduction to Ibn Ezra. Um, He loves language, um, very, very much picking up on on specific wording and grammar. Um, He wrote poetry, he wrote liturgy, um, a lot, some of the songs that are in a like in a Shabbat venture are written by Ibn Ezra, um, and and just a lot of like liturgical poetry that he wrote as well. Um, okay, so I'm going to read through this. God spoke while going up the mountain. He spoke to him about the Mishkan, the reason to make a sanctuary for the revered name for him to dwell in it, and there he will speak to Moses and not go up the mountain. It is called a sanctuary because it is the dwelling place of the sanctified name. As I show you, seeing this with his eyes, for the visions of Ezekiel were through a dream prophecy. The additional and, and this is a separate piece, um, the additional and in and so you shall make it is to include the vessels. For at first it was just, and they shall make me a sanctuary. Um, so just for that very first piece, I just wanted to bring that as an example of a commentator trying to situate the text in the context of what had come before, right? That in, um, in what had come previously, Moses w- was going up the mountain, and, um, and here God is saying, okay, kind of the purpose of this Mishkan is so that you don't have to go up a mountain anymore, and I can just talk to you there. Um, and with the second piece about Mikdash, um, I think that just Ibn Ezra is trying to 
explain why it's called a mikdash and why the why the term sanctity is being used. Um, and with the third piece, um, just kind of, I think that he's and he's picking up on as I show you, um, and specifically, um, specifically like showing Moses visually as opposed to and kind of differentiating Moses from other prophets in that Moses sees things directly, whereas. Ezekiel, for example, had to see things through a dream. Um, and the very last piece is just another example of the, you know, that, that very important vav um, and, what, and what you do with it and the fact that commentators have different strategies in what the, where they might take it. Remember, Rashi took it in the direction of um, if anything goes awry in the permanent temple, then you use this same, um, the same patterns. Here, even Ezra is using it more textually and having it referred to what had come previously. Um, let's see. I think we can skip Sforno. I'm sorry, Sforno. Um, just because of time constraints. Um, okay, so. Ellie, do you want to read Ramban? Sure. The secret of the Mishkan is that the holy of he who dwelt on Mount Sinai shall dwell in it secretly. And so they shall make it in future generations. If one of the vessels is lost, and when you make the vessel of the temple, such as tables, menorahs, wash basins, and bases that Solomon made, you shall make them according to this pattern. This is Rashi's language. I do not think that this is true, that Solomon should be compelled to make the vessels for the eternal temple according to this pattern. For Solomon made the bronze altar 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 10 high. And I think what we're supposed to take implicitly for the, from this is that the, the specifications in Truma are different from what Solomon ends up doing. Um, so part of the reason I wanted to bring this was also to give you a taste of Ramban, also called Nachmanides, um, that he can be really combative um, and attack other commentators, including Rashi, as you see here. Um, he was also very involved in theological debates in his time. Pretty aggressive person, I guess, at least textually. Um, so thoughts on this, thoughts on, thoughts on what he's doing, um, thoughts on the, th the very first piece um, as opposed to the second piece? This is more of a chronological question. Yeah. So Rashi was also 11th century. Was, was, was Ramban enough after that Rashi's work was able to get to him? Like, I don't know. Yeah, within so the, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it must have been able it to must, get to yeah, him. Yeah, I guess so. Um, and they, I think that they were roughly... Um, remember, so Raji died 1105, I think. Um, I think he was born 1040, died 1105. This is like weird <laughs> dates that are like burned into my memory. Um, Ramban, I don't remember, but if he's 11th century, then there was, then maybe there was like a tiny bit of overlap, um, but otherwise he lived after, after. Raji. Okay. Um, but it's an interesting question about like which of these commentators have access to which other commentators. Yeah. Um, so, any other thoughts on Ramban? The first line is yeah. confounding. Yeah, it's not so obvious that this is like that that God's presence would be secret when God is in the Mishkan, right? Right. And I also struggled with translating sod mm. because maybe it doesn't really mean secret. I mean, that would be the literal translation of it, but like maybe like mystique would be more appropriate or, um, or I'm not really sure. And banistar, which is that um, the last word in that sentence in a, in a hidden way, mm -hmm. um, right? So like what's the value of God's presence dwelling in the Mishkan in a in a hidden way. I, I I have a lot of trouble with that and I'm not really 
you know, if I ask myself the question of what is the question that Ramban is trying to answer, I don't really know. Um, well, maybe the, the question is, you know, why would God need this, again, going back to Rashi, why would God need this physical place, this constructed thing? Um, and it might be so that Moses has a place that's more convenient than climbing a mountain, but it's also because the people can't, you know, can't confront God's presence in the way that Moses can, right? So this is more hidden so that the people don't get hurt or whatever mm. happened to them. Or maybe it's, or you're saying like maybe just to take it a step further that um, it's hidden so that Moses can access it, but B'nai Israel can't really, or because they don't know about it, because it's hidden? I don't or? know, I'm thinking about it in this like uncharacteristically logical way of, um, <laughs> All right, so Moses doesn't really have time any longer to climb the mountain every time God wants to talk to Moses. So God will come down to the camp where the people are. But their interaction was so like panim al panim, like so face to face, we can't have that in front of the people. So we'll build this place that God can come down to talk with Moses and the people won't be affected. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Great. Like so, like, that. very, it's very practical, yeah. right? Because yeah. Moses still has to, still has to run things, right. and um, this is this is just a much more efficient way of exactly. having his face-to-face time with God and still being able to lead the people. Totally. Great. Maybe it was also in response to the, would it would it have been in response to the um, golden calf incident mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. as like Same okay, one. just like clearly the people need some sort of. Like, the whole mountain thing isn't working out. Like, that's, like, almost, that's too not, like, concrete. They need something more that they can see and build and bring put money into than just, like, going up to a mountain. Great. And something that's nearby. Yeah. As opposed to being far away and being being distant. Like, they need a present God. Yeah. And this is, this is, like, a compromise. I think that's really great. Are the pillars still around? The pillars? So like guiding pillars of... Whatever. The fire and cloud one? Yeah. Don't those come just out after that? I thought, I'm, for a second, I thought you were asking, like, today. <laughs> 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 I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um, no, are they in the desert? Yeah. No, so they're still in the desert. Um, but I'm not sure, like, if, if those are being used to guide them as they're walking, I'm not sure, like, how settled they are at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but so why do you ask? Because like there, there's like so much physical God. There's like a, there's, I'm surprised they're not like gathering around the pillars and mm-hmm. like worshiping at the, there's freaking pillars. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, and like, and they hear God speak to them at the mountain and there's like, you know, and God's presence is in the tent of meeting. He, Moses doesn't actually have to go up the mountain for God to talk to him. He talks to him all the time. It's like an oracle. He, like mm-hmm. people come to him with a question, and he goes, and then he like gives <laughs> him an answer. Yeah, like, great. Like, there's like so much more physical God um, than I think like at any time ever. And, and it's still not enough. And the, yeah, but think about where the people were coming from at this time. I feel like this is like these Jews coming out were really, really different than Jews today. Like. They just been like a, they were just been slaves. Like, I just think that their like their needs were probably like clearly as we saw from the golden calf incident. Like, mm-hmm. they they needed more things out of their God. I wonder if that's what the nistar is like. That um, this this construction will always be there, and there will be a bit of mystery of, as to whether God's presence is in the mishkan or not. But the people will always think, God is watching us. God is right there. We better not, like, build another calf, or we better not complain too loudly. Um, and it's, it's almost like this constant overseer, speaking about people who are coming out of slavery, yeah. you know, that there's constant supervision. But they're never really sure if God is there yeah. or not. I wonder awesome. if it's saying that actually what they need is for God to be more hidden. Like that God mm-hmm. is meaning as opposed to like the ostentatiousness of the pillars mm-hmm. and, and like the the 
the yamsu and the and the mountain and the fire and the, there's just like <laughs> yeah. so much, much going stuff on. going on and like that actually what they need is for God to like be more hidden like the secret mm-hmm. is that the glory should be mm-hmm. more hidden but why would they have just built the golden calves then why would they just have done something to create a physical yeah. something they could see and like Field. Maybe, like, Maybe they don't know what they need. What they need. <laughs> yeah. Because they have a God that is so physically present. And there's the mon every day. And there's, like, the, there's just like so much miraculousness going on. Mm-hmm. And that like actually what they need is to move to a place where like mm-hmm. it's not quite so clear. And there is like this mystery and this hiddenness. And that when that happens that you have to reach out more to God or whatever the implications would be in that. Great. And maybe what they need is like both not having God as in their face, but also having gold around. (laughs) Lots of gold. Lots of shiny. Um, Okay, great. So, sorry, have you you read Rambam? Great. Okay, so tomorrow will you read Rabbeinu Mechaye? And the only thing I'll say about him is that he's kind of mystical, which you'll see very soon. Uh, okay, I'm gonna try in the Hebrew when I switch over. Cool. Etchan lifrosh kima shehis ker bekan shalosh trumot. Veikhuli truma et trumati vezot truma. Shehem kineget shalosh trumot shehaolam nitromem behem behem hachokma vhatfuna vhadat. Venirmas b'masam ishkan v'fish hamishkan shekol kivriat olam. Umipneza he's care bekan shalosh trumot kinegdam. Uchenegdam tirmu Israel bemidbar shalosh trumot. Ha'achad trumat hamishkan. Vihiha amura be parashazam. Hashniat trumat shkalim. Vihiha amura be parashat shkalim. Beseder kitisa. Hashishi trumat hamizbach. Vihiha amura beseder bemidbar sinai. Shanim Nu Israel, what is it? Al Yudei. Al Yudei, Shkalim. Shanatan Kohachad Mehem Mechatzit Hashakel. Leotam Shkalim Hayu Lekarbanotzibar. Great. Um, so let's just talk briefly about this. Um, so, I mean, what he's, what he's picking up on textually is that there's just this repetition of Truma, Truma, Truma in mm-hmm. a very, in, within two psukim. And what um, what are these three true motes about? Um, and he and he likens them to um, wisdom and intelligence and knowledge, and that the Mishkan is really parallel or um, really equivalent to the creation of the world. Um, and and he also likens these three. Uh, givings of truma to the three times that the Israelites donate things in the desert. Notice that it doesn't include like the giving of the gold for the um, <laughs> for the golden calf, um, but I don't think the word truma was used there. Um, but anyway, so so he's doing a few things here. Like first of all, just textually picking up on the oddity of that repetition. He's picking up on um, he's he's picking up on just general themes and bringing things together in a broader way beyond these psukim. Um, okay, so let's, sorry, we're just short on time. So Leslie, do you wanna read the next paragraph? Um, this is hinted at in the Midrash. It does not say to bring gifts, but to bring me gifts, taking me as it were. God said, take me to dwell among you. And further they said in the Midrash, these are the gifts which you shall give, referring to the assembly of Israel, which is a gift. As it says, Israel was holy to the Lord at the first fruits of his harvest. Great. So what's he doing here? I feel like there's like a lot of different thoughts. Yeah. And not, in, not enough sentences. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little confused. He's yeah um and he's saying some kind of i mean i won't say outlandish but i mean like really um really shocking like really i think i think that what he's saying is like what are the gifts um b'nai israel and god Mm -hmm. um and when it says v and he's picking up textually on the 
on the phrase vikhuli and bring to me. Um, so what's the point of including me there? Really, they're taking me. They're taking me, and um, and when they what are they donating? They're donating themselves, and there's kind of this um, fusion of God and Bnei Israel. Um, so just to run through the next three very quickly in the last two minutes. Um, so Abravanel, his style is he looks at the whole Parsha and then he asks like 16 questions in a row. And then he goes on forever in answering those questions. I think that his questions are amazing um, and, that the, and that like you can learn a lot just from looking at what his questions are. Um, and so I'm just gonna read out this particular question, which is similar to the question that Mimi asked at the beginning, but slightly different. Um, the first question is, why did the Blessed One command us to make a Mishkan, saying that I may dwell among them? As though the Blessed One has defined finite matter instead of the opposite. The truth is that the Blessed One has no matter and has no material power, so how could he relate to a space? Um, so just putting forward that question and also just to give you guys an example of what Abravanel does. Um, the, the next source, the Kliakar, um, and these are the gifts which you shall accept from them. According to our sages, their gifts were to atone for the golden calf, where it says, and they removed the golden rings, etc. They contributed their own funds to making the calf. Right. So this is a theme that I wasn't expecting to come up so much in, mm -hmm. in the course of, of the shiur, um, of the relationship between the mishkan and the golden calf, and the mishkan kind of making up for what happened with the golden calf that Ellie was talking about before and that um, a few um, a few other comments as well um, and really juxtaposing the you know ripping out like their gold nose rings or earrings or whatever kind of rings they had whatever other kind of piercings they were popular at the time um, and you know giving them to Aaron to make the golden calf as opposed to this donation of the gold and the silver etc um, and the very last piece um, from Avot de Rabbi Natan, um, and this is the one source that's not a, an explicit commentary, but is just something. It's a it's a source. It's 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 not so clear when it's dated from, and it's kind of in the style of midrash, um, but it's dated a lot later, roughly. Um, Rabbi Tarfon says, the Blessed One did not extend his presence upon the Israelites until they had labored. As it says, and they shall make me a sanctuary, and I will dwell among them. Um, so what I think Rabbi Tarfon is picking up on here is the structure of the sentence, right? Ve'asuli mikdash, and they shall make me a sanctuary, and only then will I dwell among them. Um, in order for me to dwell among them, they need to do the work first. And, um, and it's kind of this um, partnership or some sort of structuring of the relationship between God and the Israelites. Um, so any thoughts on those last three that I raced through? And Provenel's question is a good question. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I unfortunately did not have the time to go to that. Um, but it's a, it's a really good question. Um, and again, I think it's something that Mimi alluded to before in, in her question about like how do we deal the Mishkan with the Mishkan theologically. Um, so we are a couple of minutes over. Um, it's 7.02. Any last thoughts before we wrap up? Thank you. Yeah, cool. yeah. Excellent. Thanks. Thank you, guys.